Good morning, Community Church. So glad to have you back with us today. You know the time that we're living in right now? It is the most opportune time that we have had in our lifetime to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And that's why this Go Tell series is so important. Uh, you've learned so far about our responsibility and how we are to go out and share this gospel. Well, today, we want to go a little bit deeper in our understanding. You know that there are people out there today who are depressed, who are angry, who are going through all sorts of situations in their own lives with sickness in the family, loss of loved ones. And that's why I say there's no better time to share Jesus than now. The solution is Jesus. And it's the individuals of the church who are responsible for communicating that. I want to show you in a minute three answers that were given to a survey. I want to give you the answers first, and then I'll present what the question was. I think you will agree. Let's see what that first one is. The first answer is this. Christians have no sense of urgency to reach lost people. That is a statement that's made against the church, that we really aren't as concerned about others as we are about ourselves. The second answer, very few Christians befriend lost people. We segregate ourselves from them. We don't want to be seen with them. In some cases, to do business with them, we are isolating them, and yet they are the ones who need Christ the most. And the third answer was this. Christians are known more for what we are against than what we are for. An unscientific survey asked this question. Why do you think many churches aren't as evangelistic as they once were? And those are the answers. Now, we at Community Church are not going to suffer what Pastor Allen talked about two weeks ago, which was the drifter, those who become settled in the church and then drift away from their understanding of how we are to share Christ with other people. We don't do that. Our ministry here is to lead others into a focused life with Jesus Christ. That's our effort. That's our mission. Jesus was all about that same mission. And yet, He was able to find the unbeliever do you know why? Because that was his mission. He said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus' focus was on those who not only needed him, but who did not know him. And he made that the primary call to the church, that we are to seek the lost and find them while they're there and share the gospel with them. That's our responsibility. I love one statement in Scripture because it confirms what I believe, and that is Jesus was a friend of sinners. If that were not the case, we wouldn't be saved because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ came and He saved us. Well, how did He do it? How do you find lost people? He sought them in a very unique way. I'll give you a little history as we lead into our passage today. 
Jesus is speaking in a home and there are a lot of people gathered around, so many people that it was hard to press into where he was talking. We don't have the context of his message, but we are confident that it was all about the kingdom of God, all about the love of God, all about himself as the Savior. And along comes a group of friends. They, they love the friend that's with them so much. He's paralyzed, he's on a little carrier, and they can't get to Jesus. And that was the reason they came. So they climb up on the roof of this home and they remove the tiles so they can see down to where Jesus is. And very creatively, they lower the man down there. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, did that set off a motion among the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others who were there in the room who did not believe in Jesus yet? Because they're saying, who do you think you are that you can say, I forgive your sins? You can't do that. Only God can do that, and you're not God. That was their claim. Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing what they were thinking, replied in a very interesting way. He said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, to them, those who are listening, the easiest thing to do is to say something and see no results from it because the results are hidden. That's easy. You can do that. Nobody knows if it worked or not. The harder thing to them to do would be to say, pick up your bed and walk. But you see, they had it just the opposite. And Jesus knew that. Because it was easy for him to say, pick up your bed and walk, which the man did. The more difficult thing to do was to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because Jesus understood what was going to be required of him as he walked this walk for over three years, leading to the cross, leading to his own death, moving in a direction that meant he would take upon himself the wrath of God, that he would allow himself to be crucified on a cross, that he would encounter hell, and he would be killed and buried and the third day rise again. That's what it took for him to be able to say to this paralyzed man on the mat that your sins are forgiven. But they didn't understand that. So Jesus leaves them in their confusion, having seen a miracle take place, and Jesus is ready now to start building his following of specific followers. So we come to our text in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. After this, which means after he had done the healing of the man lowered through the roof, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was just beginning the process 
of bringing these 12 disciples together and many more who would follow him, the 120 in the upper room at the day of Pentecost, 500 more, many would follow. But Jesus was just beginning this process. And so he decided to call Matthew. Now, the religious people did not understand their need to repent. They thought that their religion was good enough to save them. Jesus knew it wasn't. And so Jesus took time to build his team, and he reached beyond them to others, and he sent all of these people out so that 2,000 years later, here we are, recipients of this humble beginning. Jesus says, follow me. That's going to be interesting as we unfold the personality of Matthew, who's also called Levi, because you'll see why the Pharisees were so upset at Jesus' call upon him. It was common in those days, because it was Roman day, that people carried both a Jewish name, who were Jews, and perhaps a Roman name or a Greek name. Levi was also called Matthew. And Matthew, as you know, became one of the great disciples of Christ. To the amazement of the Pharisees, though, this Levi, this Matthew, was a tax collector. Now, the Pharisees hated the tax collectors. Why? Well, let's talk a little bit more about Jesus and his call upon Matthew. When he calls you into relationship with himself, it's personal. I know because I know in my heart and in my spirit, I met him on that night. I asked him to come into my heart. I didn't see him, but I could feel the presence of God with me. It's very personal. The Bible says that Jesus gazed upon Matthew. He didn't just walk by him and say, follow me. He looked at him eye to eye, and this sovereign God who had taken upon himself flesh pierced the eyes of this creature he had made named Levi and Matthew, and he said to him, follow me. Matthew had no choice. As he looked into the eyes of Jesus, he knew, I need to follow him. I need to leave it all behind right now. This is an amazing call. And I'll show you why he wanted to do that in just a few minutes. But Matthew understood the invitation. He grasped the personality of Christ in one look. Remember Peter having the look of Jesus upon him when Peter denied him? And Peter knew, I shouldn't have done that, and he went out and he wept. But today, the invite is still open. It's an invitation to an eternal life. It's not just an invitation to follow a man. It's an invitation to rid ourselves of all the encumbrances of this life and join him for an eternal life. But to live this one now to the fullest, that's the invite. It's a great thing to have. But it still rubbed the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the others wrong. Why? Because the man he called was a terrible, terrible sinner. And Jesus should not be talking to sinners about the kingdom of God. And yet we turn that right around and say, without the kingdom of God, sinners have no hope. So here's Jesus calling him. Matthew, the tax collector. He worked in the region of Capernaum, around that lake, and he moved his booth as need be. So let's talk about tax collectors for a moment. There are two different kinds of tax collectors, and they're always robbing people. 
And you say, boy, I'm glad that doesn't happen today. Yes, it does. I want to give you three instances in my own life where I've been involved in that, where I've seen that happen. The first one was a trip we took to Moldova. We were carrying in our suitcases gifts that had been made by people here in America. We were taking them to the widows in Moldova. We arrive at the airport. As we claim our luggage, a woman walks over and says, what's in the bags? And we said, presents for widows in your nation that we're bringing for free. And she said, well, there is a tax on those. And we said, there's nothing in the literature that tells us we have to pay a tax on these. We went back and forth for several moments. And then our host, who had preceded us to Moldova, came through the doors, took this woman, they walked into a room. 20 seconds later, they walked out and she said, you may take your luggage. Later, I asked him, I said, so what'd you have to do? He said, I gave her $65 US to be able to pay the tax because that's what she wanted. I remember being in Siberia. We were leaving the country, heading back to the United States, and we had some of these gifts for widows left over in our bags. Well, when you leave over there, every bag is opened and everything is inspected, and you are required, but not by law, uh, to give something to those people who are checking the bags. The lady said, may I have one of these? I said, these are for widows. You are probably not a widow. No, I am not. Then she looked at me and she said, but I have not yet eaten lunch. Would you buy me lunch? And I thought, well, here's a woman who is hungry. Of course I can justify this. And I gave her a few rubles and she was able to buy her lunch. But before she did, she said, thank you. She closed the bag, never looked in the rest of them and sent us on our way. This is a lot like what Matthew did. Now I'll give you a story that's really interesting. The last time we went to Nigeria, about our 18th trip there, as we approached the baggage area, you must engage an individual to help get your bags and take them outside with you. And so we engaged the, the young man. He found all of our luggage, again, many items to go to widows. And as we are rounding the corner toward customs, another young man comes up and says, for 25 US, I will get you through customs. And I said, I don't think I need your help. Yes, you will. I said, I tell you what, let's go to customs. If I need your help, I'll pay you 50. He said, okay. And so we continued walking toward the customs officials. One of the officials had his back to me. As I became about 10 feet from him, he turned around and he looked at me and he said, welcome home, Papa. And the young man walked away. I did not have to pay a tax because we have built relationships over the years with these customs officials. That's exactly what was taking place in Matthew's day. There were two kinds of tax collectors. Rome hired both kinds. The first was called the Gabbai. The Gabbai was an individual who received the land tax from the people. That was one-tenth of all grain and one-fifth of all oil and wine produced. That's all that the Gabbais were responsible for. That's what they received. But then there were the mochas, the great mochas and the little mochas. Now the great mochas could be identified with Zacchaeus. Remember him? He's the little guy who was a tax collector who climbed up on the 
tree in order to look down at Jesus. And Jesus invited himself to his home that day. And Zacchaeus gave back five times what he had taken. The great mochas would hire the little mochas because the little mochas did a lot of work. That was Levi. He was a little mocha. Well, what does that mean? It means that he sat up in his booth wherever he decided he wanted that booth, normally with crowds. And here's what he could tax. Imports, exports, toll roads, harbor docks, borders, bridges. If a cart's coming down the road, he can charge that cart based on the number of wheels. He can charge it based on the number of people in the family. He can charge it based on what's in the cart. And he also gets a 20% tax on all fish that are caught in the lake. This is how he becomes wealthy. He is actually stealing from his own people, paying the great mocha who's paying Rome. Matthew is looked at as a traitor. He's one who is not liked at all. Rome wanted Jews to hold these positions because when they tried it with Gentiles, <laughs> the Jews killed them. But they would not kill a fellow Jew, even though they hated him. And Matthew was the worst. Matthew was the scum. Matthew was unforgivable. He was the most hated type of tax collector. And yet this Jesus, who claims to be the Messiah, <laughs> says, follow me. Why would he do that? Because he knew that this Matthew, this Levi, needed a relationship with him. He had a plan for him, a great plan. Jesus said, follow me, and everything changed. The language actually says immediately he changed, and he began to follow him. It's a process of following Jesus. And what did he do? He followed him because he wanted to tell other people about who this man was and what had just happened in his own life. A great Christian by the name of J.C. Ryle said, No one who has tasted grace wants to go to heaven alone. Isn't that right? I don't want any of my friends to miss out on heaven. I remember praying with my best friend before he passed away, praying for him to receive Christ. I don't know whether he did or not, but oh, I want to see him in heaven. I want to see my family in heaven. And I know people in my life that don't know Jesus, and I want to see them. Where do we find them? Same place Jesus did, out in the marketplace. I had a man who once called me. I had talked with him several times. He just wasn't open to the gospel at all. He would have been one who held each of those three answers to the survey. He would have thought that, we were hypocrites. And so he said to me, I tell you what, let's meet one more time. I said, okay. He gave me the address of where he wanted to meet. We didn't have GPS then. All we had was big maps to look, and I found the address, and I drove to that address in Dearborn, Michigan. It was the address of a local bar. And I thought, well, isn't this interesting that he wants to meet me in a bar I think he was testing me to see if I would come in. I walked into the bar. I saw him sitting at a booth. I went over. I sat down. person came over. I ordered a Coke with lime. And I sat there and I said, so, what do you want to talk about? And he looked at me and said, I just wondered 
if you would come into a bar? And I said, well, then you don't understand. I spent most of my life in a bar. I don't have problems coming into a bar. I come in now because I know everybody in here needs what I have. And I have something that's free. And that's what I want to give to you today. We sat there and he prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Where do you find him? Everywhere you go. The people are out there who need Jesus. Alan said it two weeks ago when he said, it's up to us not only to live so others see how we live, but to use our words to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people will understand their need for him. Let me ask you, have you looked at your top three list? Have you been praying about them, about an opportunity to reach them, to share with them the gospel? Because that's what it's all about. Let's go back to Matthew for a moment. I want to show you what he did. How did he respond? I remember my response when I was first a Christian. I was out on the beaches of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, sharing the gospel with everybody who walked by. Just like Alan had said when he was 16 years old in Dublin, I didn't have the confinements of theology and seminary. I just had a love for Jesus because I had been saved and I wanted everybody to know about it. What does Matthew do? Matthew throws a party. It says there that he gathered all these people together because he had new longings. He had new affections. He had a new mind. He had a new heart. He had a new purpose in life. And he wanted these men with whom he had worked for years to know about that. So who did he invite? He invited people just like himself. But here's the key. He didn't invite them just to tell them what he had done. He invited them to do what he had done. He invited them to listen to Jesus. Now the scripture tells us that they reclined. What does that mean? It wasn't an early, quick party. It was a lengthy process. And here was Jesus sitting at table, sharing the gospel of himself with all of these people. And Matthew was there telling other people, we have no idea of the result of that party. But I can't wait to find out. Jesus, how many people decided to follow you on that day? How many did you call into your own presence because Matthew threw a party? When's the last time you threw a party filled with unbelievers? <laughs> be kind of hard to do, wouldn't it? Especially today. But let me tell you, that's where the heart of Christ is. He says in this passage, he didn't come to save those who were healthy. Now, the Pharisees thought they were healthy and they weren't. No, he came to save the lost and he sought them out. So how's your walk going? How are you doing on sharing the gospel with other people. It's time for you to release yourself from the insecurity of not sharing the gospel to the security that when you open your mouth, the Spirit of God's gonna speak through you. And he's gonna plant a seed in someone else's life. You may not see them come to Jesus, or you may be watering a seed that someone else planted. But the responsibility is yours and mine, that we find those unbelievers and we love them and we build a relationship with them. We bring them into the fold 
by sharing the gospel of Jesus with them. So I want to challenge you this week. There are some opportunities coming up that you can invite friends to. On the 19th, next Saturday, we're going to be having a drive-through nativity. It's going to be fantastic, and you'll have the opportunity to invite your friends to drive through and see this and hear this story of the birth of Jesus Christ and hear the gospel of his saving power. In addition, tell them to watch on the 20th the worship service, the pre-Christmas worship service that will be focused really on who Jesus is. And then lastly, what about Christmas Eve? We're so excited about Christmas Eve. Can't wait to produce that so that people will see who Jesus is and we can worship together. You can invite your friends to all of those. Invite them online. Invite them over for a watch opportunity. Let's take this seriously. We don't want those three answers to reflect who we really are. We are a church who's together on purpose, leading people into a focused life with Jesus Christ. It's your responsibility and mine to make that happen. So go and do it. Follow him and he will lead you. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the resurrection. You are our only hope in time of need. So Lord, you've already blessed us. We know who you are. We love you. We are growing in you. Point out to us the unbelievers who surround us every day. And let us not just be a reflection of you, but let us be your words coming forth to share with these people that they may know who you are and come into a saving relationship with you. Help us, Jesus. We need all the help we can get. We pray these things in your matchless name. Amen. Now, you go out there this week, find someone that you can talk to about Jesus, and then join us next week. We're looking forward to it. Merry Christmas, and God bless you.